I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show needs your support, and it's not going to cost you a dime. If you're getting ready to shop on Amazon, start at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Click through the Amazon Gold Box on our homepage. And a percentage of those purchases will help support the show at no extra cost to you. The same goes for all the buy links on our site, including our guest products and all the items featured in Christopher and Eric's favorites. Thank you for listening. And thank you for your support. And now it's time for another episode episode of The Dinner Party Show. Brought to you by you. Hi, I'm Kristen Johnston, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. I went to a marvelous party. Don't even know the facts. They go with their gut, and the only thing their gut cares about is money. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine. You first, Eric. Live from the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show. The Internet's first live comedy variety show with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, no, we're no, going no. to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to a special episode of The Dinner Party Show. Tonight we begin Kiss the Flame Month. Woohoo! In lo- honor of Christopher's wonderful new Thousand and One Nights novella. Absolutely. And we had to have something to push Wright Murderer into the wings after two months of talking about nothing but Eric Shaw Quinn. Right. And you can pre order Kiss the Flame now on the, at thedinnerpartyshow.com. It comes out officially on the 10th of this month. But that is correct. You can already order it along with Christopher's other two Thousand and One Night if you want to sort of get ready. It's a series. Right? It's the it's next part installment the so in the Desire Exchange series. And now there will be three pieces to the series for you to put together and uh, get all steamed up over about, I hope. And we're going to try and make Christopher feel like it's all about him for it a few minutes. But it's really, we know it's really all about me. And it was actually all about him for the past two months. So it's time <laughs> that we talk about something that I wrote for a change. But anyway, we're, this is, it's mostly the show is about us being shitty to each other live on the air. But um, tonight we brought in a very special guest. We thought we were going to do a regular format show with this guest. But Lexi our guests Blake. were so special that just wasn't possible. We started talking about independent publishing. Lexi is one of your romance writer compatriots. 
Patriots. Yes, that is correct. Lexi Blake has been on the show before. She is a contributor to 1001 Dark Nights. She is a New York Times and USA Today bestseller. Many times over. Her series is the Masters in Mercenary series, and her novella Adored, which is also for sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, is, um, takes place in the Masters and Mercenaries universe, if you will. But when we brought her on earlier this month, we thought just to sort of talk about this and self-publishing, we ended up having this amazing, informative conversation about, why don't you tell us what it was well, about? Well, because of what had just happened, I was in the process of bringing out Right Murder. Sorry to bring that up, God Christopher, but it, also available at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Uh, my very first uh, murder mystery and the uh, first of the Right Murder mystery series, and Christopher's Passion Posse, who've been instrumental in his process. I love that name. Um, and are, are led by, or two of the principal players are Lexi and her, I don't know, her associate, I'll call her. I, I'm not I'm really going to sure. call her her right hand lady. Absolutely. Uh, Kimberly Gidros. Gidros. I yes. don't want to mispronounce it. Um, really talked me through the whole process. And so when we got them in here, Kim came with her and we. We got started. We talking. surprised Kim. We surprised we, we, Kim. We, we dragged made Kim, Kim come studio. on the show, and you'll be able to tell <laughs> from the interview. But you'll also really thank us for doing it because together they get really offered up insight on. They they really talk about writing is is a very creative process, but it's also a business, yeah. and they really talk about it in terms of it being a business, how to start a business, and how to run a successful business in the marketplace as it exists. So. We went way over, we but we really over. think it's worth it, and we think it's something, if you're an aspiring writer or you're just curious about the publishing business and where it is today, I think you'll find it fascinating. And we're going to bring you everything that we did with Lexi and Kimberly, except for the really nasty stuff. That's on our website and that, only. that really end- endless dinner. That but we will bring it to you within an hour-long show. So the show <laughs> you're about to listen to is, is our usual length, which is you know 55 to 60 minutes, and it includes everything you ever wanted to ask, one of the most successful indie published authors about it's indie really incredibly valuable I mean it's something you might want to like keep at hand or even transcribe Absolutely. for for um, your own indie publishing efforts so uh, congratulations on Kiss the Flame. Thank you very much, sir. We're here celebrating Kiss the Flame month at the dinner party show and to kick that off here um, coming is up next Lexi Blake. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And joining us now in studio, not via Skype from Dallas, Texas, but here in Los Angeles in the Dinner Party Show studio is the lovely Lexi Blake. It's very exciting to not be talking to you from my closet. <laughs> Why were you in Last your time I was in my closet because somebody was outside of my office, like oh blowing leaves or something. That's uh-huh. really... And so I was like in the closet in the right. dark. Like, yeah. Well, that always s- happens. You're going to have a conference call and the gardener comes yes. or the, they decide to tear up your street or the neighbor buys a baby and it won't shut up or whatever. Or the Festival of Jackhammers has recently the happened to Festival our critic at large, Jordan Ampersand. Yes, that's yeah, a party show, yeah. So well, you sounded great in so your closet. Out of the closet. Yeah, you're out, but you sounded great. It's a it's a lovely closet. So you're you're here in Southern California. So we nabbed you and we dragged you into the studio. But we want to talk to you about the fact that you're amazing and that we love you and that everyone loves you really. But also that you're an there indie author. Who, oh, How do you two know each other? We met through a thousand and one dark nights. Yes, which is um, I always try to come up with the right language to describe it. As a series, it's it's all different authors doing monthly novellas, bi-monthly now. They're all writing in their own universe and in their own world, but they're sort of branded 
the same, essentially, or similarly, if you will. It's almost like collective. It's like collective marketing. Mm -hmm. Collective marketing. That's a great way to put it. And that is how we met. But we met because when I did my first entry, The Flame, uh, and Kiss the Flame comes out, which is in the same series, comes out later this month on November 11th, I believe. They gave it to you to read, and you gave it a really generous, thoughtful read, and you gave me great feedback. And then you did something that no other author has ever done for me, ever, which is you volunteered to put part of it in the back of your next book, which was amazing. Yeah, And, like, you are, like, everybody in the whole world reads your book, so that's actually really... (laughs) Right? Absolutely. That's a real plus. Totally. I don't know how much it helped, but I I was more than happy to do it. It helped my soul, I think Good. is the point. Because right? you're doing something new and, and you And it don't made know how you guys go. friends yeah, and whatever. It it totally like I, I like that. One of the things that I have really enjoyed in bringing out Right Murder is the help that I have gotten from this very sort of, I call it the passion posse, this collegial for us, group yeah. of friends that you have developed in writing in, in the romance genre. And it's it's so unlike so many other areas of writing that I've experienced. Right. It's very collective and it's very about people succeeding together and being willing to share tips and marketing and promote one another. See, I, I grew up and came up in the indie world. Mm-hmm. So I, I am always shocked when people are shocked that that's what we do. Nobody reads one book. I mean, there, there's there, maybe there's some guy out there who goes to Michigan once a year and he's going through the airport and he picks up one book. At least in romance, they are voracious readers. They're always uh-huh. looking for the next book to read. I can't keep up with them. So why wouldn't I want to help? You know, they're going to come back to me, but it's great to help them find other really great works. Now, take us through the the timeline of your career. You started under a different pen name. I did. I I guess I actually started, I I say in indie, I actually started as Sophie Oak in small press. Okay. But even in small press at that point in time, we were very, um, and this, uh, this is only five years ago. Because I started in 2010. That's how fast the publishing world changed. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, the publishing world really? doesn't change for since like the printing press. Yes. Yeah. yeah, right. It was the printing press and then like Kindle. <laughs> 200 years later, yeah. whatever. I'm going to show well, my was, historical We got rid of experience. Hot Lad. Right. We got rid of Hot Lad in like the 60s. We switched to, you know, photo yeah. printing. And, and then, some people would say mass market digital. paperbacks were a big disruption too, but I'm not sure. Not mm. on the order of, of ebooks. And now not it feels like. Digital. like the put, like like it changes every day. Mm-hmm. So as when when we started, small press was still kind of derided as uh, vanity almost, right? And certainly indie publishing was a no no. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined an RWA group at that point in time. That's Romance Writers of America yes. for people who don't know. Okay. Yes, and RWA at that point in time was kind of going through. Uh, it still kind of is. Uh, indie versus traditional. Mm, it's like mm-hmm. like I, I was talking to you earlier today. It's I like think the whole business is. It's yeah. like the sharks versus the jets, and everybody's <laughs> like, "I'm indie." Yeah, you, I'm traditional. I'm traditional. Everybody breaks indie, into song, and we all yeah. <laughs> beat each other up with jazz hands. Right. Um, it's gotten a lot better, uh, and, and let me just say it's gotten better because a lot of indies have started hitting the times, and we've been in some ways we've legitimized ourselves. But there are still people out there who don't view any kind of indie or self-publishing as legitimate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I started in small press. Um, I ended up about two years. No, it was about 18 months. I ended up with a book that didn't fit. 
It was a book called The Dom Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. The small press I was with, they were very good at doing one particular niche in the genre. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to Sylvia Day and asked her, I was sitting with her in a bar, mm-hmm. asked her, what do you think I should do? And she said, I really think you should self-publish that. I had to take a new pen name. I had to kind of chuck 20 books mm-hmm. <laughs> out of the way. You couldn't cross market with those I books because market. they own that pen they name. They own the pen name. Right. And and that's very unusual. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people would sign that contract, but <laughs> it happened. Harlequin did it back in the day, too. Right, right. Um, and let me just add as a side note, the Sylvia Day that you were talking to went on to be one of the highest paid romance writers working today. Absolutely. She also self-published her book and then was picked up by a publisher yes. and is probably one of the highest paid romance writers out there now. She's probably the pinnacle. Yeah, she's probably the pinnacle. Yeah. Now, I, I would actually say Nora Roberts, prob- because she does four books a year. Sure, but, but sure, right. we all kind of look to Sylvia Day as the... Yeah, because Nora Roberts is like an alien. She is. <laughs> it's like, I love her, but like, how is it that really possible? You Nora can't, Roberts says... You can't actually be a human being and do this. Nora Roberts says, if you sat at the computer as much as I did, I sit there five to six hours a day, and you would eventually have as many books as I do. That's her response. The New Yorker called her a tough broad. That she was is. Her description She's awesome. Of Nora Roberts. She's awesome. She is but, a yeah. writing Literally. machine. I, know somebody, I just, I couldn't do it. He was on a cruise. She, uh, she was on a cruise with Nora Roberts and her husband, and Nora Roberts turned to her and said, you're going to have to entertain my husband because I'm going to write now. And this woman said to Nora, you're on a cruise. You make $40 million a minute. Come on, relax. She's like, no, this is what I do. I'm going to my cabin to write. So anyway, back to your back to your career. Anyway, so, yes, Sylvia yeah. Day. Sylvia Day is, but Sylvia Day was erotic, whereas I don't think a lot of people would call Nora Roberts erotic. Oh, no, it's no, more she's contemporary, contemporary romance. romance. Right, yes, right. and I was erotic too, which is why... I, I I met her through my writing partner Shayla Black. Right. Um, but she gave me the very good advice of taking that indie. It, it was very difficult at the time to walk away from a um from a pen name that I had worked so hard to establish. Mm-hmm. But in this business, what I've learned is you have to sometimes make those choices, and you have to. I got go with the tide. I think I got in at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. With exactly the right momentum, about after I published Dom Who Loved Me in September of 2011. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that is when Fifty Shades of Grey took off. Right. And then Sylvia Day's uh, Crossfire Trilogy took off, and Erotic had its big boom. Right. So it was and it was perfect timing. Do you why do you think that big boom happened then? Do you think it was because previously publishers were saying publishers like Harlequin for instance were saying nobody wants to read erotic or they don't like it because Harlequin will say we had an erotic line and nobody liked it. There were plenty of erotic books out before. Right. There, Hello, Christopher's mother. Not erotic romance. <laughs> That's erotica. Though. That's erotica. Yes. I see. Big oh, did you see those judgmental fingers? Did you see? Are both our fingers are came out? We started lecturing the mystery writer. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I do think that that is part of the problem. Is there was a big difference between erotica and erotic romance? Yeah. And the erotic romance writers would get shoved in with the erotica, mm-hmm. and so I think Fifty Shades of Grey really made that delineation a lot clearer, and it made everybody kind of stand up and take notice. Yeah. In and Fifty Shades was uh really a gateway book. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't say that Fifty Shades is as erotic as a lot of, of the stuff that we write right now. Right, right. But it got people reading and it got it showed people 
that these books are out here and they're not just... It gave people permission. Yeah. Yes. Like, one of the things, like, I, I, and again, you can break out the fingers if you need to. At some, Because <laughs> uh, this noise. isn't my genre. But the thing that I've heard from the, the thing from the sidelines that I've always heard is that women don't like pornography. Women mm-hmm. don't like that kind of thing. They want something else. They're, they want more thinky things, more the romance, more the Nicholas Sparks kind of. That that's what women want. That okay. women aren't turned on by. So I think one of the things that seems to have been discovered, if you will, probably mostly by men who don't know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. through Fifty Shades is that, oh, yeah, women actually yeah. really are crazy about a lot more erotic mm-hmm. reading and writing. I think, you know, it's very mind-centered and it makes sense in the long run. But honestly, when we when I was working with the Queerest Folk, right. one of the great revelations on Queerest Folk was that the people watching it were women. Right. You know, yeah. like once again, another of those myth busters, like a woman, a man wants to see two women together. Oh, but a right, woman right. doesn't want to see two men together. Well, clearly that was not that, true. That is not true. It I mean, the, the majority of MM uh, uh, readers are women. Absolutely. And writers. And by MM, we mean male, male, oh, sorry. gay romance. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm doing the cliff notes for people <laughs> who don't know. But um, that's absolutely, uh, absolutely true. But I think there's also something to be said for the fact that the biggest market there, they want the very explicit sexuality, but they want it in the framework of a story in which there's a happily ever after and a monogamous well, and sexu- or trinogamous relationship mm-hmm. that develops through the sex. And the sexuality that, has to mean something. Yeah. It and, has to push the story along. It has to say something. It has to have something to say. It can't be, you know... I'm just going to throw in this Minaj scene here, and it, it just needs to, make it to mean hot. something, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sylvia Day has gave an interview that I thought was really informative where she said, the challenge of an erotic romance is it's not just a romance novel with sex. It is a romance novel in which your challenge as a writer is to develop the characters and the relationship through the sex. You actually have to use the sex as a storytelling device, that each sexual encounter in your book gets these two or three characters, or sometimes four or five, deeper in touch with who they are and how they feel about each other. And when I first started doing it, I was like, the peak of the scene is the sex. They've had sex. They're fine. And you read The Flame, and you said... No, it's the moment immediately afterwards. It's the moment where the emotional repercussions of what they're doing settle in and they either embrace them or they pull away from them or they come closer together or deeper together and that the, the, the real flashpoint in erotic romance is not the orgasm, it's what immediately follows it. It, it's the it's the whole idea of the sensuality of the character. A, right. a lot of times we will write characters who are discovering their sexuality. Mm-hmm. I write a lot of, of women who are older who've gone through you know, children and divorce and, and who are just finding their sexuality because I find that's when a lot of women throw away the preconceived notions of who they should be for who they are mm-hmm. and start to open up and start to find themselves. Right. Um, for at least for a lot of women, sex in the tw- in our 20s is not that great because we really? don't yeah. we don't know what to ask for. We don't even know that we're supposed to ask for it. Right. It's almost shameful to talk about it. Now, do you think it's legitimately easier for men in their 20s or do you think they're they're just as unfamiliar with what they really want? They just think, well, as long as I had an orgasm, well, they just don't good. know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, You're like, and, I was with some men in their 20s earlier today and they were just bubbling. <laughs> this is probably not fair and you'll probably get a whole bunch of college. I think it's harder for a woman to just have sex. Mm. For, for us, it tends to always be 
emotionally meaningful or even there there's a lot of guilt associated with it that I don't know you've been taught growing up mm-hmm. by society. Right. Absolutely. Uh, in the in the time we have left before we go to a break, I do I do want to say I think there's a class of men who are similar, and I think you're sitting across from two of them because I always thought I should be the man who could just fuck them and leave them. And Eric was finally like, "Could you please just leave some of these people? Because you keep them around. <laughs> could you please just be?" But he I've understood him, because he was the same way. I've he made didn't... him write out. Yeah, I want you to write that down <laughs> on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope. That in you will your only desk sleep with this guy. So that I can make you pull yeah. it out of your desk and open it when you call me up after right. this, this. But he seems so like yeah, no, because no? I want it to mean more. Like I, it's a lot of trouble and it's dirty. It's messy, you know. And it's like, anyway, okay, when we come back, we're going to drag your assistant, Kimberly Gidros, into the studio and put her on the spot because she knows everything about indie publishing. Absolutely. Right Murder would not not be published without Kimberly. You would not be reading Right Murder today if I hadn't met, if Christopher hadn't met Lexi (laughs) and Lexi hadn't hired Kim. Exactly. That is the the perfect, um, the passion posse. The passion posse. Triumphs again. Absolutely. So we'll be back here very shortly on the Dinner Party Show. And now it's time for the 30-second book commercial! Hi, I'm Lainey Foley. I'm a college student on full scholarship, and that's why I can't act on my attraction to my handsome professor. It might jeopardize my grade. I'm Michael Bruchard, Lainey Foley's handsome professor, and no matter how many assurances I give her that I won't endanger her grade, she won't act on her attraction to me. The whole thing's too much. I'm freaking out. I'm running through the French Quarter. Hey, where did this candle shop come from? Mmm, smells like my handsome professor. I'm Lillian Williams. I haven't aged a day since 1959, and it's all because I lit a candle just like this one. So I should light it? No, you should not. Huh? To find out how this conversation ends and to read some hot, steamy professor-student action, download Kiss the Flame, a Desire Exchange novella by Christopher Rice. Now available for pre-order at thedinnerpartyshow.com and from Amazon. We promise it's better than this 30-second commercial. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. The internet is full of people talking about stuff they hate. So on the dinnerpartyshow.com, we've decided to launch a new feature that's all about stuff we love. That's right. It's called Christopher and Eric's Favorites. Each month, we'll recommend a variety of products we just can't live without so that you can enjoy them, too. You can visit Christopher and Eric's favorites at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and that's where you can also sign up for our newsletter and be the first to know when new favorites are added to the site. And remember, if you use any of the buy links on thedinnerpartyshow.com, a percentage of your purchase will help support the operation of the show. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we're joined this evening by the lovely Lexi Blake. <laughs> and we have decided to make, I think assistant is maybe too small a term for what Kimberly Gidros is I to you, Lexi. I would say indie publishing goddess. Indie publishing <laughs> goddess. The woman without whom right murder would not have come Simply before you. not be My Girl Friday. Your Kendall. Yeah, Absolutely. your Girl Friday. And Thursday and <laughs> yes, Wednesday all of them. and Saturday. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So I, Welcome, you, Kim. Thank you. Kim, did you just learn how to do this as you went? I mean, we were, we were talking earlier in the show about how it changes every five minutes, you know? And so Can, did, I, can I say some, a couple sure. of things about her? When we started, she was a, a seventh grade English teacher. 
we'd known each other for well, we've known each other for 15 17 years somewhere around there i told her i really wanted to write books and i basically gave her these books and i said you know let's start a business mm-hmm. if you'll edit we're i'm you know we're going to work out a percentage and you know she's going you're, you're going to be a part of this business she took it on she has not only learned how to edit she's edited for multiple new york times bestselling authors right she's learned how to do everything, everything. from the ground up mm-hmm. She Everything. is an amazing, so, amazing like, person. It's like the, Let me it's change like, it, my question. It, it, Are you a robot? <laughs> Are you a, a robot or an alien? I am not an alien. <laughs> I've just learned a lot from the people from people over the years. Um, Lexi's husband and I spent about ten hours going through the Smashwords formatting guide the first time we ever formatted a book and oh did it step by step, exactly what it said. And wow. I mean, that's we just learned from the ground up. <laughs> Wow. So I, that and is the hardest part of it is the formatting. It's like the tech assistant that yeah. you always – like un, un, you have an unbelievably encyclopedic knowledge of every step of the process because every different publishing platform is slightly different than every other. And there are all of these elaborate forms and things you have to – and you know every step of the way for all of them just off the top of your head. It is it is truly a remarkable skill. You are an amazing person. I almost burst out laughing because I thought you were going to say that she was actually in seventh grade when you were first. <laughs> She's a seventh grade English teacher. A seventh student. grade teacher. Yeah, like she taught English when she was in seventh grade. She's that amazing. She's that amazing. But so let's review. So for people, we have a lot of party people out there who are indie authors or who are trying to publish their first book. Amazon, iBooks, Smashwords, and am I leaving out any other platforms that are available? Google Play is closed down to new publishers currently. Right. You can't really get your book on Google Play right. if you're indie. Um, Kobo also, right. Barnes & Noble. Um, that's really the big ones. I guess right. there's six. Is something Lightning something or Well, another? Lightning Source is a physical book producer, and it's pretty challenging to deal with them, as I understand it. But you might have a, you have experience with everything, so maybe you worked with them. I have not worked with them, but it's yeah. something I'd be interested in. Did, an alternative. actually put, hard, put out hardback books? I or? believe they do actually put out a hardcover. So that's something I've wanted to look into, but I haven't really had the chance to as yet. But CreateSpace, you certainly walked me through that. Now, that's actually a part of Amazon? It is, and they do the print POD print-on-demand books, and they distribute to Amazon and then also to Barnes & Noble and other booksellers um, through the other option. Oh, I see. Yes, I remember that stage of the discussion. You have to price it pretty high, I think. I thought that was an odd thing. I felt penalized for putting it to more markets. And there's no guarantee that they're going to distribute it to those stores. It's just if those stores have a desire for your book, they can order it from them. Right, and it's not physically in the stores. It's only... On, through the website, they can. I right. see. Right, ah. but it does. Um, it makes it there to Barnes and Noble, um, and then also like Amazon Canada comes through that through that right. route. So, yeah. um, it it does make it there eventually. But they the price difference, the profit difference is pretty right. extreme. So, am I exaggerating when I say it changes every five minutes? I mean, is it, it, it? What would be your advice to someone who's starting right now? Is it is it to just go and familiarize yourself with the websites for the platforms, or should they hire someone like you? 
<laughs> they should hire some, you know, especially the formatting. You can get that done yeah. pretty inexpensively. It's something, like I said, it took us 10 hours that first time we ever right. did it. And so it's not something that's incredibly that, valuable. Right. It, it's worth $100 or whatever you might pay yes. to get it formatted. Well, I, I will say this, and this may be outdated information by tomorrow, but there is a new app out there called Vellum, V E L L U M. You have to use it on Apple. Sorry, Eric Shawquan. It's a, it's a Mac only app. And. <laughs> They're not springing it on you at the last minute. Well, I, I, I guess they're not because it's only available through the App Store, so you would know if you right. had anything else. You, it does a pretty good job. I've played around with it. I've emailed – I haven't uploaded a book for sale with it, but I've emailed the final files it produces to my devices, and they read very clean. Uh, if you're going to put graphics in your book or if you're going to do a lot of customized fonts – not so great, apparently. It really, in order to give you this sort of instantaneous conversion, you have to limit what you do in that right. area. So but it for converts a text something only, that you're actually doing. It or? takes a word file and, and formats have you, have, it. Kim, have you had experience with it? Have you tried this one out? I yeah. haven't. I'm still formatting the old-fashioned way. Well, <laughs> we actually do a lot of. This is she learned how to do a lot of. Um, HTML. Yeah, and like the little sigils and stuff you yeah, put in ornaments. there, ornaments, and she learned how to do that, so that wouldn't go through Vellum. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, I yeah. guess No, we wouldn't. do a lot of customized yeah. stuff. Yeah, if you yeah. do that, I mean, that's the thing, and so you people probably still need a formatter of some kind if they want those things to get specific. Or if they just don't want to, like, I just, it's so complicated. It's it, unbelievably yeah. well, complicated. It goes even past the formatting, I mean... You remember the nightmare of the VAT tax <laughs> oh, that and, we went through. Yeah. That yeah. Was oh, yeah. Publishing abroad. Yeah. yeah you yeah. walked me through that as well. Right. Yeah. And, and that every website's different because, you know, some of them include the VAT in their price they give you and some don't. And so it's iTunes something. makes you set a price for every single market. market. Yeah, but it's it stands for value added tax, and it's built into the price of the product, and you it cuts into your share exactly. of what you're going to get paid, and you, it's not immediately apparent to you when you're picking a price. And yeah. so, I had Cam <laughs> to tell me, <laughs> no, you have to bump this up, and this is what you have to charge in this country, and it was really great because yeah. like, I don't know anything about European publishing, so there's there are a lot there's a lot to know. I think. I would say that it would be a benefit to work with somebody because there are so many aspects. Mm -hmm. I love that content is king. I love that it is possible to reach a mass market, but that isn't the end of the story. This is the new barrier to entry is your willingness to learn this stuff and to really engage with the hard or facts. Or find out, out what the answers yeah, getting, are. Finding out what the answers are. But, but to get back to what Lexi said at the top of the, the interview is – Indie authors are surprisingly willing to share their knowledge and their information. And if you do go to conferences and things like that, particularly in the romance world, people will be giving workshops and people will be sharing. They keep blogs. I, I say on the non-romance side of it, Hugh Howey and uh, J.A. Conrath, who were both kind of early big indie success stories in sci-fi and horror and thrillers, they would, on their blog, they would share everything they were doing. You know, they called it crowdsourcing the information and crowdsourcing the help, you know, if you will. And, and so if you're out there and you want to get your book published, begin doing your research on Google and find the authors that you've seen sell well. And uh, you well, know. What, what you learn as you go along is that somebody else's success does not detract from you. Right. It's not a zero-sum game. Yeah. We were having that conversation just last night. I think it was just last night. There is not a limited amount of fame and fortune. There's an unlimited supply. Yeah. It's not like somebody's Beyonce is going to get it all and then that'll be the end of it. 
it, but it's unlimited, and, right? And you you do better to get encourage people to read. My favorite kind of marketing is what I call marketing. Is what I call author to author marketing. Mm-hmm. It's when uh, one author helps another author out. You, right. you use your the things you have, like your street team, to kind of get the word out about someone else. As you did for me. Now tell us what a street team is. What, oh, how would you define that? Well, and it's funny because it's one of those things that rapidly rose and now it's used kind of differently. Mm-hmm. So some people use street teams as these little groups of super fans. And so on release day, they'll all go out and try to get the word out on social media and yada, yada, yada. Uh Some of them use them. They will give them the books and then get them to go review. I actually don't do that. Mm -hmm. I want all of my reviews to be organic. How do you communicate with your street team? Facebook. Facebook. Uh, We've got a little Facebook group. You know, I end up talking to them on a regular basis, giving them little tidbits. They get to see the covers first Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Also, um, the big book clubs on Facebook are really awesome ways to get the yeah. word out. You connected Naughty, me with a group called Naughty, Naughty book, book Club, Club. and it's mm-hmm. been it's been pivotal because I'll go on Naughty Book Club, and, and I literally this may be too much information, but it's about a fictional character, so we'll go with it. I said, how long, how much time needs to elapse before a female character uses the bathroom and has sex in an erotic romance? And I got a lot of interesting opinions. And that was available to me instantaneously right. because of you. It's not a marketing thing, but it helps But it's still about the, the craft. Book. It's well, still yeah. about, like, I, I would think the same thing would be true of any, like, how soon. We've had the conversation about they do it on the in the, t- the movies all the time. After you fire a gun, a gun would be pretty hot. Yes, yeah. and people touch it to people's faces and move it. And all, by and conversation, you mean you really... gave me that note about we, something I we written? We were talking about yeah. it because. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, like oh, you right. should be able to talk with other thriller writers who can say it's five minutes before yeah. you could touch a gun to somebody's skin without it searing their flesh and having yeah. them scream in agony. And we'll be right back with more with Lexi Blake, New York Times and USA Today bestseller, here as we kick off Kiss the Flame Month at The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to The Dinner Party Show. Stay with us. Tired of dining alone? Enjoy the dinner party show with friends. Like us on Facebook and become one of our party people. Then, during our live shows on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, you can join the conversation and post questions for Christopher, Eric, and their guests. During the week, drop in for tasty side dishes, show updates, and fun with the other party people. The Dinner Party Show. You are the life of our party. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, bringing you interviews with some of the hottest celebrities who made the mistake of taking Christopher and Eric's call. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this Sunday, November 8th, The Dinner Party Show welcomes two of the hottest writers in contemporary romance. Together, Lauren Billings and Christina Hobbs are the voice of Christina Lauren, the New York Times bestselling author of the Beautiful Bastard series. Join us this Sunday live as Kiss the Flame Month continues with another steamy discussion of romance with two of the genre's most talented authors. It's all right here on The Dinner Party Show. The Dinner Party Show, a new live cast, begins airing every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at thedinnerpartyshow.com or through our free mobile app. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where all of our shows are available for free anytime you want to listen.
Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're back with The Dinner Party Show, and we are back with Lexi Blake and Kimberly Gidros. Lexi Blake is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of the Masters and Mercenaries series and many other wonderful erotic romance novels. And her her girl and Kim Friday. Kim is a goddess. Kim, Kim is, is a, a goddess. publishing goddess. And Eric, tell us why Kim is a publishing goddess. Because I have had the experience of bringing out my first indie she murder midwifed. mystery book and she, she midwifed, midwifed book. yeah she absolutely midwifed the book into existence it simply would not be here today if you didn't have the great good fortune of having these wonderful people be friends of yours because well thank you Kim literally took me by the hand and walked me through the whole process and so what we wanted to try and do and is to give you get yeah. you guys to kind of talk us through because a lot of our listeners and a lot of people out there are in the same place that I am they have right. an idea for a book. And so, what should they do? Well, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself after you've written a really great book, we're going to assume that you've written a first great book. First, you write the book. Step one, write the book. And um, make it good. I think you have to ask yourself what you want out of the book. Mm. You, do you Are you putting this book out there just because you love to write a book and that's it? And you know, this is the part in the flow chart where you're done and it's awesome. Go forth. If you're building a business... You have a whole lot of questions to ask yourself. And I see too many authors who don't want to look at it as a business, who only want the great, fun, creative process. Mm -hmm. This is a business of numbers. This is a business where you have to watch out for yourself. And, and the term indie publishing is really a misnomer because nobody can do it alone. Right. You really can't. Really. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> Living proof. Yeah. You need a, a circle of people around you. So first thing I would tell any author to do is to go to someplace – whether it's Romance Writers of America, whether it's a writing group, whether whether it's a people on Facebook you talk to, you need to get in. You need to talk to people who've already done it. You need to get advice and and figure out how to do all of Hell this. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you need to take care of yourself. You need to be able – you need to be aware of – and I say this because I don't have to because I've got Kim, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm very well aware of how hard it would be to be doing all of this on your own. Not only do I have Kim, but I have my husband who has an MBA and he handles the money. Mm -hmm. But it's very important to keep track of, of you know where your numbers are, what works, what doesn't work. The, the great thing about indie publishing that you don't get from traditional publishing, which you write that book, you don't see it for a year, it comes out, and if you want to change course in your career, you've got to wait another year. In any publishing, you just have to wait until the book's ready. Mm -hmm. So if I suddenly decide, yeah, the way I was writing those books really didn't work, uh, you know, if I, like I said, if I was traditionally publishing, I would have a whole year, and the world can change right. on a dime yeah. Yeah. in that. Uh, in that time, whereas with indie publishing, we can really take a look and say, you know, that's not working. We're going to have to course correct. Mm -hmm. Now, you said that you went to Kim and asked her if she wanted to be a part of a business. Describe the business that you all – because I love this sort of model, the idea of seeing yourself as a small business owner or operator. Like, yeah. We, tell we me have, about there the business three arrangements us. that you have. T talk a bit about that. I think that would be I'd, interesting for people. Absolutely. I did something that I don't think many people do. Of course, I did it back when we were making absolutely nothing. What I told her was if you will edit these books and you'll help me and with all of this, I'll give you 10% of the business. 
which meant absolutely nothing the first like <laughs> it, meant, it meant dinner out yeah dinner, the first the first couple of years. Exactly. my first paycheck was thirty three dollars and forty my first royalty check was like thirty three dollars here's three here's some coffee money Kim yeah but right. she stuck with it and we managed to build this she's now does this full time because in the beginning she had to do this and work yeah so who was the bigger seventh grader. Her or the ones that <laughs> the ones that you had to teach in school. There were some rough ones, rough ones at school. <laughs> I'm actually fairly easy. I do she what is. Kim tells me to do. She yeah, is. yeah, I, I do what Eric tells me to do. Every now and then, this area because he's still learning. But. Every now and then, I get a martini in my hand and I wander off, and yeah. she kind of has to herd me back someplace. Right. But for the most part. She still won't let me write the ancient alien books, though. Oh, that's next. That's yeah. next. Okay, I'm going to ask you. You triggered something in your last answer that I think uh-huh. is up for a lot of people. So people will lead with the wrong question. Like, they'll say, how long should I try to make a go of it? How how patient should I for be? For as long as you have the passion for it. For as long as you, right? Yeah. And you, you have to be, around back on that. And you have to be patient. This yeah. is not, a, you know, everybody takes a look at these massive success stories. Right. You know, Sylvia Day was, was writing for it years and years and years before she became an overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. Did E.L. James was a you, you she nobody was a blogger, right? Well, yes, and nobody can compare themselves to E.L. James. That's the kind of thing that happens once in a lifetime. It's a it's fire, you know, in a bottle or whatever they call Lightning it. in a bottle. Lightning, Lightning in a bottle. bottle yeah. But yes, I think I fire in a bottle is a great fire. name for a publisher. Lightning yeah. in a bottle. Right. It, for the most part, we all have to, you know, take our time and be patient. I like to say in indie in the indie world, you know, give a series five books before you give up on it. Because mm. The way you have to figure out how readers read mm-hmm. in romance, it's different than they read in thrillers. In thrillers, they really will read one book at a time and go on to another book. In romance, right. they want to devour a series. Right. They want to read them one after another. And a lot of readers won't even pick up a book mm-hmm. until they know they're a couple so that if they like it, they can go through it. Mm-hmm. You have to take that into account. I've seen too many indie authors who had great ideas it didn't sell the way they wanted to on the first book, and they gave up on it. Right. Well, they get two months down the line, realize that was the book that sold. You know, actually, that was the book people liked. I should have kept up with that, and mm. then, then the moment's gone. Yeah. I think it's important to tell people that unlike in the old days when this wasn't an avenue for you to publish your book and you had to roll the dice on one book that a traditional publisher was presumably putting some muscle behind, and if it didn't work, you were rarely given a second shot – um, you're filling a bookshelf now that's never empty. You're yes. putting a book there that's going to be there until, God forbid, Amazon goes under. But even if they were to go under, that inventory is likely going to end up with another provider, maybe that beams it directly into our heads in the year 2065. But you're 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 not. There were stakes in the old days because you were working against the physical shelf. Mm-hmm. Once that book came out, you only had so long on that shelf. You had to make it work. This is what I went through with my last hardcover before you were getting booted off or to the back of the store and then out of the store and then out of print if you weren't still selling. So so it's important for people to remember that the, those stakes are, are gone, yeah. I think, for this indie process. Do you think that's yes, fair? Yes, you have to look at them. I like to look at them as little soldiers. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done with that book, I put him out into the battlefield and he's going to work for me. That little book's going to work for me for, you know, as, as long as I keep it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, it's going to be out there and available. Right. Uh, you know, I 
would rather sell well over time mm -hmm. than sell all well all up front and then the money's gone. <laughs> well, it's right. a better business strategy. It is. It's if a, you have to make all the money the first weekend, like what kind of it's like a, much more stable. Yeah, it's and, it's a more sustainable income than. But it's also based in reality. Like I think that Netflix has hit on kind of the similar idea. Like. Oh, good. I've got 15 episodes of House of Cards. Yeah, I'm going right. to sit down yeah, and totally. just watch that. I've got 15 books by Lexi Blake. I'm going to just read 15 yeah. books. Like It's the inventory that's really, I think, changing the marketplace. Yeah. I, I, I look, Game of Thrones. Like uh, We're going to make this into a TV show because there's like you know six books. Now they're running out of books. But that's part of the problem yeah, is that, that series doesn't continue far enough for them. Like, kind of yeah. that binge mentality yeah. works against you in traditional publishing mm -hmm. because then you start – you know, you open up with a, a the first book, mm -hmm. and the way people read now, people are like, "Oh, I'll wait till they get." To, I know they're going to have at least five books. I'm going to wait till they get to book three. Interesting, interesting. I, I've actually found this to be true. Yeah. Um, traditional publishing, then it didn't sell well, so we're not we're going to shelve it, or we're not going to give you the advance or right, whatever. Right. It was with over. indie publishing. We just go ahead and, and get them out because yeah. we know eventually that money is going to be there. So let me ask you a question. So the young indie writer comes to you, or not young, the new indie writer, <laughs> aspiring, comes to you and says, um, I want to write five books in this series. Should I wait and publish them simultaneously or should I get them out as fast yeah, as possible? Good question. Yeah. You know what? Again, it depends on what you want out of it. Yeah. If you are looking uh, – the, the worst thing an indie, publish, an, an, an indie author can do is do what I call writing hand-to-mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen too many people who their first or second book sold really well, mm -hmm. who go out, they quit their job, they buy a big house, and then... Right. That happens in Hollywood, too. They <laughs> it, get the really option does. on something and they think the they money's just going to rain and gonna... rain and rain. Yeah. I, I they live... don't amortize the money. Yeah. I live in the same house. I, you know, I, mm -hmm. my husband did come home. Right. But we're paying off that house and, and we're going to be very tight with our money because the last thing I want to do is be forced to write for money. Yeah. When you do that, you kind of put yourself in a corner and, and that's just never good. If so, you know, if you want to make a splash, I would say put them out close together, which goes against what traditional publishing would tell you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it, it really does. Like every it, two months or every six months or every... I, you know, if you've got them, I would put it out at least once a month. Some people would put them out once a week to yeah. get that out quick. It gets your name out there. You have to think about things like the dreaded Amazon search engine that none right. of us knows. There's a mystery. It's exactly. a mystery. It's published by Amazon and it's still a mystery. <laughs> they a keep mystery. it a mystery. So but so let me also ask you about length. So if somebody says, uh, should I do a series of novellas or should I do novels? Does it matter? Are people's attention span shrinking? No. There's... You should write what you are a natural at. Yeah. I naturally, I write big books. Mm -hmm. I, my natural inclination is to write 120, 130,000 word books. Okay. That's pretty long. Um, there are some people who write way better at 25 to 30,000 words. Right. What I would, the other thing I would say is, you know, don't follow, don't chase a trend. Mm -hmm. Write what you love. There's always an audience for it. It's it's there. You have to grow that audience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes a little time to grow that audience. But I still believe if you're if you put out a really good product, if you're patient and you tend to that garden, mm -hmm. it's going to come back for you. It might not do it at the beginning. But I, I've also seen the other mistake I've seen is people who I'm going to write rock stars. No, I'm going to write 
um, BDSM. I'm going to write this because somebody told them this is hot. Yeah. Write what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. Write what speaks to you. Right. Because I think readers can tell. So we've got a pretty good sense of how to put together our book now. So now we have to take it to the marketplace. So let's turn to the goddess, Kim. <laughs> how do how do how do people avail themselves? You've said it's sensible to hire somebody to do the editing or the formatting or those. But how does somebody go about that? What's a good process? What would you recommend? Again, I'd probably Facebook. Um, there are a lot of author groups on Facebook, and they can give you recommendations for formatters. Um, you definitely need to hire somebody out to do your cover. Um, doesn't matter how good you are, you think you are, they, unless you're a professional, they, they know what they're doing, you know, <laughs> the cover artist does. And there's, you know, uh, several author groups on Facebook where you can get recommendations for that, or also RWA, I think, would be a place to turn. Romance for, Writers of America, again, for those right. who don't know, right? Yeah. And and what should people look out for? What kind of skills should you look for in getting in, in getting together with somebody? What should you ask that they know how to do? Um, don't go with the cheapest formatter. I think out there sometimes people don't follow all the steps and that are necessary in formatting. So you want somebody who's more mid priced on that, or you know, don't go cheap on that. Uh, and the same with the cover artist. Yeah. The cover artist, particularly, I think you need to. You want someone who's got some experience who yeah. can show you some covers that you like, right. and that um, look at them in comparison to other books on on Amazon and see what you know what catches your eye. That's you know a lot of of what. Don't be too specific with your cover artist. Oh yeah, that's, we, that, we've, that, we've we've <laughs> you know if you're too specific with your cover artist, wait wait. It, it can be hard for them, and you kind of take away their artistry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you say it has to be a six foot five inch male, and he has to have blue eyes, and he has to, and I don't want you to cover shot, you know, Photoshop him or anything. I want this to be perfect. It ends up looking like this weird Frankenstein because they will Photoshop mm-hmm. weird Frankenstein <laughs> thing. And you're, you're, there really are artists. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. you, I would say what mood you want on your cover rather than it has to be this and this and this and this. Even well, the, though we feel the thing that. that I did with right murder was I looked at people's samples online and I looked for things that seemed the most like what my book was about. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, then I I chose Asha to work with, who was amazing and I think did a a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. But it it was a matter of of finding, as you said, the mood, somebody who had the same sort of sense, books that were similar to mine. I guess you could even ask authors who had designed their book cover, if you like their book cover. Absolutely. I think everyone's willing to share that information. Again, it's a mm-hmm. that kind of a, you know, family type, family and friends type atmosphere where you'll, people are glad to give that information. Yeah, no. So, I, I, so if somebody comes to you and you say this, and then they say, is this going to bankrupt me? How much is all this going to cost? Formatting, cover, what do I do? How do I, is it going to, am I going to be able to afford to make it look good even though I don't have unlimited funds? Uh, a cover is probably going to be about 200 Dollars ish, depending on the artist. Uh, formatting a hundred, something wow, that um, that's not very expensive. Well, yeah. probably the biggest expense is is Ben's ISBN numbers, and you mm-hmm. should have one. And uh, they are pricey. They're yeah. 
about a hundred dollars, I think, for ten of them, and they go quick. <laughs> Don't forget the editing. No, know, know the difference between a content and a line editor. And yeah, and a proofreader. proofreader. There are stages. There's developmental mm-hmm. edit, which is the the in depth edit. There's a copy edit, which is a sort of um, it's a proof. I call it proofreading plus because it's also somebody who checks for logic errors, inconsistencies in the story, sort of factual problems given the givens of your book. And then there's just proofreading, which yeah. should be done last by somebody who has a naked eye because the other two people are probably tired by that point and they've seen too much <laughs> of your book and somebody needs to come to it fresh and find every period and dot every I and cross every T. All in all, I think I've seen that the the median rate for what it will cost you to go from nothing to getting your book out at about 1000 to $1,200, mm-hmm. which I know that sounds like, and most of that's going to be in editing because the editing is going to be the expensive. Editing, yeah. yeah. You have to, this is your business. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your business. Well, you, you've got to put some money into it. And it gets it. back to what you said about expectations. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're, if you want to turn this into your career, you're going to have to yes. invest some money. When we wanted to do the dinner party show, we invested money and made this a good quality mm-hmm. studio and we soundproofed it. And if we, you just you know, want to get your butterfly poems out there, yeah. that's cool. You know, yeah, absolutely. put them out. But, but if you want to be taken seriously and, you really have if to. If you want to start this as a business, I, I, I like your approach to this as, as a business because it really is. It, it, it is a business. Publishing is an act, actual This is how business. I feed my children. So I've got to take it as seriously as I possibly can. Right. Absolutely. All right, then. Well, I think that is some really good information for people who are looking to get out and publish. It's certainly, I will tell you from experience, it has worked for me. If you've yeah. read Right Murder, these are the people who told me how to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, you know, ladies, we could keep you here all night and just talk about this. I know I know we have so many indie authors among our party people, and they, they will hit you up in thousands of questions. But we want to remind everybody that next Sunday we're being joined live in studio by Christina Lauren. Ooh. Very popular romance authors wrote the Beautiful Bastard series More and the Wild Night series. Posse. The Passion Posse is coming in. We're moving from Mystery Month right. into Romance Month because my next... Next, uh, Desire Exchange novella, Kiss the Flame, comes out on November 11th. I hope that's right. And it's in November. I don't know if it's November 11th. Well, it might be it'll November be, 13th. Be the, the Tuesday? The Wednesday. They come out on Tuesday, right? Our yeah. Dark Nights books. Yours yeah. came out earlier in the year. We Eight. had you on to talk about it, Lexi Blake. So and maybe the 10th. I think it might be the 10th. The Sunday, is the, the Sunday is the 8th, because yeah. Christine Lauren will be here the 8th. Absolutely. And then 9th. 10. Because so, I have a book coming out on the 17th, okay. and I know that's the date, and that's that Tuesday you all after. You are way better at math So we than think I that am. Christopher's book may be coming we're out gonna on the spend 10th. What's this it going to be called? We're going to spend this month figuring out when Kiss the Flame comes out. <laughs> but this is, all, you know, the other side of it, too, is I, I'm, I get so far ahead now with new projects, I forget what's being released. Oh, that's a load of bullshit. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> right? We had a, somebody actually email us recently. Yeah, we can do it on Tuesday the 11th or Tuesday the 13th, whichever you prefer. <laughs> It was the same day. Christopher was just making updates again. I get confused. I go through the calendar too fast. I used to be blonde. All right. Lexi Blake, Kimberly Gidros. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You God yeah. bless you God both. God bless you both. Thank you for everything that you did for Right Murder. It was absolutely crucial. And, and I've I, got another one. I'll be calling you soon because i got another one coming out in the spring. It was really great because we reached a point where I had presented, like I did my backlist as indie and I thought I knew all this stuff. And I finally, the day came when I said to Eric, 
you know what, Kim, we're, we've reached the end of my knowledge on this issue, and I think you're just going to have to call Kimberly. Absolutely. So I, I was able I to admit numbering the questions. I was not the big deal that I thought I was. Anyway, next Sunday, live back in studio, we will have two of the hottest young romance writers in the business. Christina Lauren will be here. They're the authors of Excellent. the Beautiful Bastard series. Really looking forward to meeting them. Absolutely. So if you have a question for Christina Lauren, 323-PEZ-TDPS is the party line. And you can also leave questions on our Facebook page for The Dinner Party Show. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks. I'd be to a marvelous party.